Welcome back to Saving Young Black Lives, Reversing Suicide Trends, a podcast series brought to you by the Central East Mental Health Technology Transfer Center and funded by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, SAMHSA. We are pleased to join our colleagues at the NYU McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research in presenting this series. The views, opinions, and content of this podcast are those of the host and speaker and do not necessarily reflect the views, opinions, or policies of SAMHSA. Welcome to this episode of Saving Young Black Lives. I'm your host, Michael Lindsay, Executive Director of the NYU McSilver Institute. We're glad to have you with us, but please be advised that this podcast series includes descriptions of suicide, suicidal behavior, self-harm behavior, violence, bullying, and other traumatic experiences. We're doing this podcast because we are at a ring de alarm moment in our nation with regard to the mental health of Black children and teens. Naturally, no discussion about this crisis would be complete without talking to a parent who has lost a child to suicide. This is the second of two episodes over which we'll hear from Tammy Charles, a mental health advocate based in Louisville, Kentucky, and the mother of the late Seven Bridges, a precious 10-year-old boy who died by suicide in January of 2019. This episode includes powerful descriptions of the events preceding Seven's death from Mrs. Charles' vantage point. As we noted in the last episode, we did not interview any other parties in relation to those events, and others may describe the same events differently. Listeners interested in knowing more should refer to news media coverage in the months prior to Seven's death and the years following it. And conclusions should not be drawn by listeners without hearing the voices of all those involved. Instead, our purpose in presenting this story is to shed light on what a parent goes through when losing a child to suicide. In the last episode, we got to know what a remarkable young man Seven was and how he persevered in his studies despite special medical needs. We also learned that he had experienced bullying at school in the weeks prior to his death. Let's pick up where we left off. I, I want to go back to the day. Um, were there... Did I found seven? Yes, yes. Can you just talk about what was going on? And I could tell you about the 12 hours from the last I saw him and before. Mm. He came home and I told you, he told me about it, that thing. And I was laying in bed because I, I'm going to tell you, mother's intuition has to be noted at a whole different level at this point. Right. Mike, it was a Friday and I sell oil shade. And on this day, I had this debilitating depression where I could not get out of my bed. I couldn't move. I... I I could not do anything. So by the time my baby came home, he left me, I was in the bed, he came back, I was in the bed. 
Well, he did his after school thing. We talked a little bit, you know, heated up his noodles. He came and said a few things to me. And just because I'm an old school parent, I did that. Hey, bring me a soda out of the fridge. Hey, bring me a cookie. You know, that running back and forth that parents still don't do for the children anymore. And so I just to see him, like, what are you doing in there? He's playing on this game. He's playing in the living room on a game. He's playing and playing and playing. And then I can hear him on his headphones he got for Christmas, talking to the TV all loud. And then I was like, time out for that. I want you to be with me. So in our bed, he always would, uh, um, he would always squeeze on the side of the bed so that I could spoon him. And that was the part facing the television. And we watched two hours of what we do. Give me our Supergirl and Luke Cage. And we had like one episode or half an episode of Iron Fist. And I guess once he heard me snoring, he was like, okay, I'm giving her what she needed. Um, and I could hear him. I went to the bathroom a couple of times and he stayed playing on his game and talking to his best friend, my nephew, uh, in another city till three in the morning. But the next day, Saturday, it was Martin Luther King's weekend. I knew I would have to go around and gather up all these kids because they came to my house. He had a birthday party that day. So we were down to one car and I had to drop my husband off at choir rehearsal and then run to the grocery store to get all the snacks for his company. We leave the house at I wake him up and I tell him the chores I need him to do. Listen, I you just have to hang these clothes up. No, you have to make these socks. Uh, let's practice on your penmanship because I am a, you know, I'm about school. So, you know, copy these out of the dictionary. I mean, out of this book that he was reading, copy these two pages. Let's work on your penmanship. And then you got party all weekend. I left my son at 9.30 with those chores. He did two out of the three and he came back and I saw all of his socks on the bed like hey i guess he got to the socks and he was like yeah that's somebody else. i'm not gonna do this but he was joke when i woke him up at 9 30 i when i woke him at nine ironically he was up i knew he just went to bed at 3 30 but nine i needed you to get these done so i can do this we can be productive yeah you'll probably take a nap when we get back but i don't want to deal with having to deal with all your friends and cousins about five little boys who eat everything so when I came back home at 11, um, going to grocery store, I dropped my husband out. 11, about 10.45. I'm banging on the door. You've had this. I'm banging on the door. Come get these groceries out of the car. Banging, 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 banging. No answer. I thought maybe he went back to sleep. So I moved this thing from my front of our house just to bang on his window here. Bang, bang, bang. Boy, come get this door. Finally, I get the key. You know, go back in my car and get my key come in here and I'm looking for the boy. I come in this room, nothing on the bed. Go in my room thinking nothing on the bed. Go down to the basement. Maybe he fell asleep on the couch down there. And then I realized that the door was locked. So, you know, where's this boy? Man, I looked right over here to my right. And he he had a way, he was such a jokester. He had a way that his entire life, when I would come home from work, he would hide behind the door, even tell his dad, don't tell mommy. And then of course his dad would give me the eye like he's back there. He would hide behind the door. And instinctively, knowing he did that all the time, I just kind of instinctively looked over like, is this boy hiding in the closet? Because at this point, if you're hiding in the closet and I've been banging on this door, you and I have, it's going to be a misunderstanding. And I look over to find my 10 year old son who had created a noose on his closet. Out of his belt, he wore to school the day before. 
out of his closet railing that shouldn't have held his 80 pounds. I grabbed my son and being a medic for the Navy for eight years, wartime veteran. I grab my son and bring him to the floor and, and I grab him and say, boy, and then by the time he lays on the floor and I was like, why would you do this? His eyes were open and he was looking at me. My, I had a cup of coffee that morning. I began to give my son CPR, but I knew he was dead when I did the compressions and the coffee breath came back to me. I knew my son was dead, so I called the 911, and I'm from Chicago. I don't know if you know about Chicago. We don't call 911. It's probably the third time my entire life pushing those three numbers together. And I'm screaming, and she's asking me questions, and I run out to my cult. I have a dentistry, eight houses. And ironically, all eight houses, no one was home. I decided to get my own baby up and put him over my shoulder. And as, I, as I'm walking to my car with my son on my shoulder, buddy, we still got time. This is not what you had to do. I knew that my son was with God. By the time I made it to the door, paramedic bust through my door and I screamed to him, Please help my baby. At that time with a 10-year-old and I'm saying he died by suicide, I wouldn't have believed me either. There were 20 police cars, two, three fire trucks, four ambulances on a dead-end street. But Mike, I'll tell you this, because I know the Lord and because I know He's our, he knows our beginning and our end. People say to me, Tammy, aren't you a part of suicide prevention? And I can't be. Not if I believe that the God that I serve knows my beginning and knows my end. Why would he let suicide of a 10-year-old be an oops? I did at that moment, before I walked out of the door after pacing in my house and all of these people here, had the presence of mind that I will one day share of my son on the floor as these people feverishly tried to revive him. I knew my was for God. I then tried to get everybody here. My husband and Gabe say, come here. I'm calling the numbers as fast as I can. They are working and it seems like an eternity. They finally get me outside the door and lock me out as they truly worked on him the police came out and said okay we're bringing him out but it doesn't look good as they brought my son out of my house on a small gurney my husband and I standing on the porch we did not practice it we did not say we just begin to say to this lifeless body seven we love you we're so proud of you And we love you. And at that moment, with my large social media finding, and you know, I'm a comedian, I put on there, my son has died and he was only 10 years old. I could not communicate suicide. I, I, I couldn't say those things. I, I couldn't call it what it was, but God gave me 
at that moment, just the seedlings of the purpose that was growing inside of me and the God I serve, I already know he doesn't do one thing without doing the other and it all has to be done for his glory. Yes, we can point to the bullying. Yes, we can point to mental health. Yes, we can point to all the other things, but Mike, what we have to do now, what you and your colleagues and your audience have to do now, first thing, and this is what Seven and I have done, this is my purpose, to really be the beacon of, hey, Black children, Black communities, Black families suffer from mental health and suicide, sing it from the rooftops. We are a very inclusive community. So many of the children hear about the bills that can't be paid or about the food that they don't have. And please don't think that that doesn't contribute to their plight. Yes. Mothers around the world have reached out to me since Seven Has Died that have become parents of children who have completed suicide and they said to me, well, he heard, you know, we have enough food. So the oldest one, his mom reached out. He walked in front of a train because we were going to get put out. He was about to graduate and we couldn't feed him. Yeah. Had enough for the others. But your community needs to address the fact that, okay, can we just get past this part? Of, I'm a comedian. I hear comedians and I always hear and I, and I stare like, oh, black people won't kill themselves. And I'm just like, uh, well, oh, right here, hand up. And Mike, when I tell you this, and I've said this to you before, I haven't heard any other paper besides me talk about not only suicide, awareness for black youth, black male youth, women too. They, the little girls too, their mamas called me. Mm -hmm. Black male youth. And also have to, while I'm mourning my dead son, I don't have to combat it because of my spirituality, but I know in, in everything in the world comes balance. But I do have to be a little bit exposed to the fact that my 10-year-old committed completed suicide and y'all think I killed him. Most parents call me and say, Tammy, they say I did it. For starters, I would have to tell my family, do not defend me. And I say that just because I know that boy and I know the truth. And hell, I'm the coroner's paid great for their medical license. Believe them. You don't have to believe me. What did the coroner say? So I didn't get caught in the back and forth of the, the anger and the hate. But I also, because I'm a compassionate person, understand you don't want to believe that a 10-year-old, a little boy, now what they got to be worried about? Everything. Yeah. What did happen over here was because of my son's death in the state of Kentucky, they put on their school uh, website, the big B. If you feel like you're being bullied, hit that. And every single school in Kentucky, they have now a bully sheet. Why? Because one mom said something 
articulately. I wasn't scared of the microphone and I didn't care who was listening. I didn't have any stigma of guilt or I am so grounded in my faith. I'm telling the truth is not a perception. It is the facts. I am military. Documentation kills conversation. I've got emails. I got text messages. I got pictures. And with all of that, everybody said, Sue, fight. Mike, I don't want to fight. You don't need. We want to solve, Mike. We want, we want to solve a problem that we are just waking up that we have. My son's suicide went viral all over the world. People begin to talk in their homes, people of color, people of everything. It it went all across every single dividing line, began to talk to their children, really talk to their children. And it happened at homes and in churches and in mosques and in schools and in daycare because of my son. International papers, all all the major things ran the story about my son. And and I say that because I just told you eight kids in his same state, in his same city, died the same way and we hadn't heard anything but my son. So the God that I serve and the work that we have to do, I have to say the gift that I never thought that I would have. If my gift had to be the catalyst of you and I having this conversation, reaching millions of people or reaching one. We have done what we are supposed to do to keep it moving. And I don't know where I am in this march, but I'm in the march. Tammy, incredible strength. Um, Just a few more questions. Sure. You you are an expert, and um, just want to, uh, <laughs> we're learning about black youth suicide through the lens of your life and the work that you're doing. Obviously, uh, Seven's life. You mentioned that a lot of folks have contacted you who have themselves lost a child um, who died by suicide. Um, Among those conversations and other things that you're doing, tell us what you're doing around uh, suicide awareness and getting the word out that our children are at risk. Uh, Well, you know how you, and, and you know, we know, we say this, in the black community, when you're getting ready to get ready. (laughs) So (laughs) I am there. I'm finally, I finally had the strength to stand. Now the two years I asked God when I buried, when I put my son in his tomb, I said, God, give me two years because I'm no fool, Mike. When you start working with the, for the Lord, you don't get any days off. And that's just a heads up to anybody that wants to serve, anybody think they want to grow closer to God, you get no days off. And no matter what is going on in your life. But I asked God to give me two years just to fall out of one life and really rebuild 
these walls of Jericho with the rubble that was there and then some new stuff and allow me to do that. And because I'm self-employed, I was able to do that, which is a plus that most grieving parents never get. Um, I, uh, September is Suicide Awareness Month. And I have, of course, been doing a couple of the walks and uh, there's Zooms and, and I've really just become almost, hey, look at this one. I have a nonprofit. God gave me a nonprofit like six years ago and I just left it over there because I was selling oil machine. Like, man, I'll do something with that when it's time. Lo and behold, I've been paying a little taxes on this nonprofit and I will do a suicide awareness gala uh, in September here in Kentucky. And then January 19th, I am going to do the entire proclamation and make that seven strong day. Because when my son died, you know, he was born with a birth defect of a colostomy bag. When I tell you that colostomy community, the ostomy community reached out so tough, they did this thing called, look at it, hashtag bags out for seven, spell it out. Man, I'm telling you, all over the world, the awareness that it, so I'm doing the suicide in September, but January 19th is seven strong day and we are tackling bullying. That's the day I found my baby and he had already made his decision and God met him there to meet at the Prairie Gates. And that would be the day and for now would always be his anniversary. But for me, I'm making it about bullying and awareness. Please pray for me because uh, I, for the month of May, because it was Mother's Day, for the month of May, Mike, mm-hmm. I left my house for 90 hours, couldn't leave, couldn't move. Mm. The grief was paralyzing. Mm. But today's June 1st and May's over. And starting this again, more of what God has purposed me to do, because you call me, Mike, I was trying to mind my business and being my pity by myself, but this work I know that I'm doing with you, I'm doing for God, and just what we got to do. Yes. My tears now are not tears of two and a half years ago of grief and sorrow and mourning. My tears now are those of like at the end of the whiz, and then they saying, can you feel a brand new day? Those are tears too. And those tears are my blood, sweat, and tears of the work that I have to do surrounding suicide awareness, surrounding bullying awareness. And I'm talking about, this is not even grassroots, it's grass. Yeah, yeah. So a couple more things. Um, sure. you're, you're, still, you're still grieving. Um, only spent 90 hours out of the house, it seems, in May. How are other family members doing uh, with respect to Seven's passing? Uh, first of all, let me tell you, my husband was made with an old mold. Uh, my husband's 20 years older than me, and he's still old school. He's going to get up, get out of the bed every day, tuck his shirt in his pants, and Put a belt on, make the bed if I'm in it or not. It's going to piddle and do all the chores around the house. It's just the way they raised. It was just that, you know, baby boomers, they taught them all that work. But he is a musician and he mourns through his music. And he and Seven made quite a few songs. But every day for about a year and a half, he would go and play this song, Seven May, over and over, over and over again. He'd play it and that. 
But again, my husband is mad. He's hurting desperately because I'm talking about Seven was a mama's boy, but he was a daddy's baby. Um, and I loved that about them. And my husband was 52 when my son was born. First of all, we didn't think that gun shot anymore. <laughs> so he was already an old man and tried to pour so much into him because he said, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. And they were just best friends. So he has his moments, you know, like he'll, he's outside working on a car now. He'll, he'll be crying and he's, and I walk up to him, but it seems like all the sweat. He said, yeah, I was thinking about seven. So I decided to come out and work on the car. So the sweat and my tears can run the same. And I love that because he's still the head of my household. And just as that, that generation, he's still the leader. He's here for me. My smaller cousins, you know, nieces and nephews and cousins and, you know, seventh extended family, they all had to go to council. Mm -hmm. uh, but my neighbors, his school friends, people in other schools, I got three texts this morning, where yesterday morning, where parents, it's been two years, now these kids are in middle school, whatever, or older, they said, Kevin, can you send us? Seven's final resting place. My kids want to honor him on today. <laughs> wow. Not just me, Mike. Somebody else wants to memorialize my son as a fallen soldier. <laughs> and he was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They sent me flowers Memorial Day. I am a veteran. Everybody sent me a bunch of uh, thank you for your service stuff. But they sent, they sent me flowers and said, uh, when you go to Seven's grave, can you put these there for, for me? I got three sets of flowers, Mike. One from California, one from Florida, one from Arizona. People I absolutely don't know. The impact of this little boy has... How can I be, how can I be sad right. when he's done what we taught him? You serve God by serving your community. How can I be mad? Mike, I'm not mad at anybody. I just want to remind our listeners that you're actually sitting in Seven's room and those oh, are yeah. behind you of Seven. I think that's you and Seven. Yeah, we were at a we were at a gala uh, for our company. Seven owned his own business, and we were at the fifty year gala. Owned his yeah. own business. Yeah, I I sell all she for a deli brand oh, uh, company, and he he sold it. He started selling at five years old. It was his own business. He had his own money. That's why he was able to do and go anywhere because we never had the conversation that we have in most black homes. You got any money? I never had to ask. He wanted to go here and he wanted these many friends to go. He paid for all of them. Hey, I was just an Uber. And I taught him that at four. He hung around with Dr. Joel Dudley Sr., millionaires, black millionaires that look like him. He made money hands over fists. And I promise you, I don't even think the boy really ever learned how to break a dollar. <laughs> wow. but yeah, he owned his own business. He was his own man, his own account. Uh, I helped him manage it and, and reinvest. 
Yeah, he even paid seven percent of the household bills. Oh my god! He started. He started doing that when he was six. Seven, we take the twenty. Excuse me, twenty five hundred, and he paid seven percent or or the, the whatever it was. He paid seven percent of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Tammy. Um, aside from you know the bullying that had some effect on him, were there any other warning signs? Um, anything uh-huh. that would give you caution or um, or worry about seven even contemplating attempting suicide? Again, a word that never was raised in our home. So absolutely not. When I tell you I had two men, I would sleep in this same bed with my son often because we're watching television together. And he only did it because it made, let him stay up late. I was interested in all the Marvel series too. This dude had any and everything he could really ask for, except he kept asking his dad for a little brother and that wasn't happening. But he had every single thing, had you know anything, even above and beyond. And we were never a um, name brand family. We, you know, I can get this and then you and I can fly to lot For his seventh birthday, we flew him to Las Vegas, seven turns seven. And he saw a dance group called the Jabberwockies that he loved. He loved to dance. There were no signs. There were no indications. There were no, my son lived 10 years. Yeah, almost 11. And he, he probably got 10 spankings ever. And that's a lot coming from black family. My grandma from the South, she hit you first, she look at you, you know, it's just what we were taught. So she's just like, I don't even want to do this. I went to Catholic school and this whole open day thing. I was just like, let's just keep the beans out of it. Nevertheless, this dude never had, not one time he wasn't downtrodden. We always had food. I mean, he had every single thing that other parents would come to me and say, this is why my child completed or has uh, suicide ideologies. Now, I get a lot of them calls. They mama's calling me left and right. They just chucking these babies into this particular hospital because she said she feel like she want to end her life. So y'all chuck her in the hospital, but when she said she liked that boy and he was over there, y'all didn't do anything. No birth control, no, nobody asked her anything. Nobody asked her how, why she's scared of this particular uncle, but as soon as you say suicide, it's like so taboo. And I want to stop that, Mike. Mm. I want to make it where if I say suicide, be just as alarmed. If I say he make me sick, I want to hit him with my car. Or I want to I hate my, I heard a little five-year-old say the other day, I hate myself. I was on the phone with his mama. He said, I hate myself. I had to hang up. Hmm. And she was like, oh, it's going to be okay. Of course, right there, it's ringing to me. Take that baby to the doctor. You know, have some sort of expert talk to him. But that's what we do. And I want to stop that. Don't, Don't be scared of the word suicide. And don't think they're just crying. They just trying to get attention. Right. But I want to stop them from thinking like, oh, you say you suicide, so let's hit him with the pills. I said, ask the baby what's wrong. I was molested when I was younger and I didn't say anything until I was 18 years old, but I was acting out and everything. My mom even took me, but ask the baby what's wrong. Yeah. And see what, and you know, and those things that we do in our communities that, that we just passed on is this is how it goes. All of those roads lead to completing suicide, attempting suicide, contemplating suicide. They all leave there because if I wasn't here, I couldn't feel like this or make you feel like this. 
And because I went to that Catholic school, I never thought of suicide. They they beat purgatory into my brain so bad. I was like, hey, let me pick hot or, or, or cold, but I don't want that lukewarm. So I, it was nothing we talked about. Yeah. Nothing we had to. Even I never said, well, black people don't kill themselves. I never, I never said that. I was in the military. I was a medic. I know black people kill themselves. Right. I know that they complete suicide. But the conversation that I raised is only because, Mike, and the reason I have to do this is only because when Seven died, robbed me of my anonymity. And even though you're looking at me with love, I know even for a, for a sliver of time or just a sliver of me, that you are looking at somebody that is living any other parish worst nightmare. Yes. yes. Since you looking, let me tell you, here's what we're going to do about your baby and your grandkids. Yeah. My baby always said, well, what do you want to be in your, when you grow up? He always said from when he's a tot, a superhero. That's mm -hmm. all he said. And that's exactly what he is. Yes, absolutely. So I want to thank you for sharing everything that you've shared about Seven. Uh, thank you for continuing the work to raise awareness and save, literally save young lives. Um, I'm Michael Lindsay at the NYU McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research. Thank you for listening. I'm Dave Brown with the Central East Mental Health Technology Transfer Center. On behalf of the Central East MHTTC, I would like to thank Dr. Michael Lindsay, Executive Director of the McSilver Institute and our guest speaker. I would also like to thank a production team from Advocates for Human Potential. You've been listening to Saving Young Black Lives, Reversing Suicide Trends. Many thanks to our guest, as well as the Central East Mental Health Technology Transfer Center, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, the producers and other staff members who have had a part in producing this show. The production team includes Oscar Morgan, Michael Thompson, Tamara Moreland, David Brown, Joe Manny, Zach Stewart, Cheryl Huggins-Solomon, Miles Martin, and Crystal Francis. Learn more about the Central East MHTTC Network at mhttcnetwork.org. Learn more about the NYU McSilver Institute and our work relating to Black youth suicide at mcsilver.nyu.edu. Thank you for listening.